Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello, could I please speak with Tracy Jean Rosenthal? Hi, it's me. Hello, Jean. It's Paul Paul Holdengraber calling you. I'm so happy that you're able to take my call and that you're part of the quarantine tapes. How are you today? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. Um, I'm good. It's not raining in Los Angeles anymore, so I have that to be grateful for. And um, what are you? What are you doing these days? Um, and how are you spending your own quarantine? Um, mostly, I've been spending it as I am sure a lot of people are on Zoom. Um, particularly for me, it's um, with the Los Angeles Tenants Union. Um, we've seen our membership double in the last few weeks, um, and that has been both. Um, really exhilarating and also really trying as we're, you know, trying to relearn all of the skills that we um, built in public space and holding meetings together in person and import all of that um, to an online environment. It's amazing the the kind of adaptation we we are all going through now. I, I imagine it must be exhilarating and exhausting, as you say. Could you tell us a little bit for our listeners what the LA Tenants Union is and the kind of work you do? Of course, yeah. So the Los Angeles Tenants Union was started about five years ago. It's um, a group of tenants that work to expand tenants' rights. Uh, we're, a non, we're not a nonprofit. We're an all-volunteer effort, and we are funded through membership dues. We take on the structure of a union. Um, and our mission has always been to uh, fight for housing justice and against the forces of gentrification and displacement that um, you know, turn our cities into um, places for investors to extract wealth rather than for humans to live and thrive. Um, and so through our history, we organize um, at the building scale by organizing tenants associations, so groups of individual tenants in the same building or who share a landlord will uh, form a tenants association. And then we organize through local chapters. There are now 12 local chapters of the Los Angeles Tenants Union throughout the city. And then at the scale of the city, we have the union. Um, so we've always been, uh, we're a horizontal organization. Um, and we're, in fact, you know, we're not an organization, we're a movement. Right. Um, and we are building the, we think of ourselves as the, building the infrastructure um, for a movement for tenants to realize that they are not alone 
and that together they have power. In an essay, uh, which is a kind of a manifesto um, called 101 Notes on the LA Tenants Union, you write, in one, of, in one of the entries, you write, when we call this crisis a housing crisis, it benefits the people who design housing, who build housing, who profit from housing, not the people who live in it. It encourages us to think in abstractions, in numbers, in interchangeable units, and not about people or about power. We don't have a housing crisis. We have a tenants' rights crisis. find that very powerful, and I'd love you to unpack what your, your statement there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that oftentimes the way that this problem is framed is in terms of these, when we think about housing, what do you picture? You picture buildings, you picture right. apartments. We often use this abstract word unit, which I think is disgusting and needs to be eliminated for our, from our vocabulary. Because what housing is, it, it provides people with their relationship to their communities. It provides them with their relationship to themselves. It provides them with their relationships to their histories. And so I, I think it's really important for us when we look at, um, when for us to reframe the notion of this crisis and who the protagonist of that crisis is. The protagonist isn't the arbitrary structures in which we reside. It's us. Right. It's the people that, you know, make those places what they are. And so I think, you know, this is, has been in the tenants union. Um, part of our work is to reframe the, no, the, the protagonist of this crisis. And I think when we do that, we are led to very different solutions for, you know, what is often called solving the housing crisis. And we're looking at very different people who are going to be the architects to use them or the agents of that effort. How did you, I mean, I, I, I detect absolutely no passion on your part. How did you, um, how did you get into this business? I mean, um, this is actually funny because I think it's very important for me to say that I am deeply replaceable in the sense that if the Los Angeles, if the Los Angeles Tenants Union is to continue um, as as it has and it, as it will, um, that I need to be replaceable. So there's nothing special about mm. me. Mm. There's only, and, and actually if I become a bottleneck of any kind of expertise or information, then that actually prevents the union from functioning. So I mean, we think about, in, in the tenants union, we think very differently about the idea of leadership because we recognize it as service. So I am providing a service to the union by um, speaking publicly about our work, by taking interviews, by normalizing our demands with the language that I, with, with the, whatever um, flourishes of language I can muster. Um, but then, you know, on, on, and of course I can say that on a, a personal note, um, that 
I find the, I mean, especially in this time of isolation, I find myself so grateful to participate in a group. And I often have um, in the past, and I only experience that more now. I was, it's funny, I was reflecting at Passover. Um, my last name's Rosenthal. I, I feel like it's obvious. Yes, I had a Zoom yes. Passover with my family, and we were. I, I was remembering that in the Maxwell House Haggadah, which is the Haggadah that we used growing up, there is this line um, about the the wicked child who who asks the question, yeah. "What did God do for you?" And the way that the like the way that I remember this so vividly, the way that it was phrased when you tell the story is, you know, by saying for you and not for us, that child is absenting himself from the group. And had he been there, he would not have been redeemed. And I think that there is mm. for me, you know, um, this right now we are being phased with the unraveling of American individualism and being asked to act collectively. And, and I think for me that that call, I think that runs very deep for me, but I also think that like, it, it is not unique. I think we have been called and will continue to be called um, to do that work. Like, you know, we had been before and will be long after this crisis. Tracy, nevertheless, you marvelously avoided my my question um, in the most uh, m uh, magnificent way. What what yeah, what uh, what triggered um, your your passion uh, to 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 fight uh, for this movement, as it were? Even if you are replaceable, um, I am. I'm curious. Was there a moment, was there something that made Tracy Jean Rosenthal say, this is my vocation? I, I mean, I think for me, it was as a lot of the, um, as the most of the most important experiences I've had have been in connection with others. So um, I was part of a group called School of Echoes that began seven years ago. And I, to be honest, I was really there because I happened to wake up at the space where this meeting was going to take place. And I went to the first meeting. And as it turns out, um, this group was founded by some of the founders of Act Up LA, the founders of Union de Vecinos, which is a group that's been advocating against the demolition of public housing and for the residents of Boyle Heights for about 30 years. Um, and they, uh, that collective was a very loose and generous process. But I think that was the process in which um, the Los Angeles Tenants Union was founded. We as a collective decided, you know, what were some things that we had in common. Uh, we all happened to live in neighborhoods undergoing a process often euphemized as change, right? So we, we wanted to figure out what is gentrification. But then we just, we didn't want to, we didn't want to just analyze gentrification. We wanted to stop it. So right. I became a part, it, it really, I mean, again, this, it was a, 
it was a decision that I made in connection with a group of people. Um, and I think for me, I, I think for me, and I can also say that one of the most radicalizing moments was realizing that right now it's um, 65% of all wealth is held in real estate and 75% of that is in housing. So when we look at the source of inequality, the access point of the financialization and of the like exploitation of space that pro- is producing the inequality that we see, it is happening in housing. So part of, I mean, part of it was, you know, this radicalization process that if I can call it that, that I went through with a group of people and part of it was my, yeah, this, um, for, you know, it, it was the Easter. So, right. Like come to Jesus moment about, where organizing can take place that will actually fundamentally reorient the redis- the distribution of wealth that exists at this moment. And it's a, a complicated issue, I imagine, now, because what you're talking about, and I think to some extent it's a, a very Jewish way of looking at the world, which is that things are done within a community with others, and now, um, of course, we are at a distance from each other. We we can't be in touch with each other. But nevertheless, in order to organize, we need to have contact in some form or another. So we have it through uh, the medium of Zoom meetings and such, which I'm sure changes the nature of what it means to organize and um, to, to create um, an awareness among people who usually would be working together perhaps in the same room. Who are the people with the power now to make substantive decisions about tenants' rights in Los Angeles? Um, oh, wow, there was so much in what you just said that I want to respond to, Please too, do. right? About, respond about, respond um, to all of it. I mean, yeah, I, 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 uh, absolutely. I mean, it's just been so fascinating to watch. You know, the Tenants Union operates under the principle of language justice, so all our meetings are held by simultaneously in English and in Spanish, and so we had to figure out how to reproduce that online because we know that the majority of people in Los Angeles don't speak English at home. Um, and so thinking about the, the immense creativity that has gone into, re, into reimagining what organizing can look like online has been like, yeah, absolutely incredible. And then also just thinking about what you said, um, you know, in terms of this moment of isolation, I mean, it's really fascinating because at the same time that we're experiencing this isolation, we're also experiencing the generalizing of a kind of precarity that has been experienced in Los Angeles for years. So like 600,000 people in Los Angeles pay 90% of their income in rent. So they are, it's, it's absurd that people have been making this choice between food and rent, medication and rent for months and months before and years and years 
before the crisis. And, you know, we say in the tenancy, and there's always been a housing crisis for poor and working people. And I think it's really interesting that this moment has actually led, even in its, through necessitating isolation, it's generalized these conditions of precarity that actually make us more connected than ever. And I mean, I often say organizing is the alchemy that turns shared vulnerability into shared power. And and that is what we're doing. So if you ask me, right, like the last question was, who has, who is capable of making the decisions that affect tenants in LA? I think there are two answers to that question. There's the answer of Mayor Garcetti, um, our mayor, our governor, Gavin Newsom, um, our city council people um, who get paid $200,000 a year and can't figure out how to hold a Zoom meeting. But I think that what's, I mean, I, I think that what we're witnessing right now, too, is that um, what's becoming more and more obvious as both the mayor and the city council stalled on basic protections like eviction moratorium, right. which would allow tenants to follow their orders, follow government orders to stay inside. Um, one of the things that has now been made even more clear is that the majority of LA city council people, even though the even though the majority of its constituents are renters, the majority of city council people are landlords. The California Apartment Association is one of the main. It, it, they spend the most money in lobbying in um, in the state government. And we know that Eric Garcetti himself has ties to so many development fields. So I think we are both seeing our, we are seeing who our decision makers are, and we are also seeing the results of their conflict of interest. And then at the same time, you know, it, it's, um, I, the tenants union exists because we don't trust the so-called beneficence of our representatives. We're not, we can't, we don't feel like we can wait for them and we never have. So we've always organized on the principle of um, building the movement and building associations, building the local and building the union for the sake of using tactics that bring those people to the negotiating table rather than ask them to do what is right. And so those tactics, I think right now you can see like the decision-making power is also with the tenants of Los Angeles and what they're willing to risk and what they're willing to put in um, to organizing at this time. So, and I, I know that sometimes it's, um, I, I think to really face, like to really believe in the empowerment of tenants, I also have to believe in their responsibility. There seems to be a, a, a real correlation between tenant protection and homelessness. And how does the work of the LA Tenants Union relate to activism around homelessness? Because the current policies seem like a recipe for the vast expansion of our homeless population when eviction becomes legal again in a few months. 
and how, absolutely and, and it's frightening to to realize um on the one hand newsom you know gave people the impression that they have two months where they don't have to pay rent but when those two months Uh, expire as it were they will have to and many of those people will also have medical conditions which will make them even more vulnerable so just just thinking about these issues is so daunting and i'm wondering what you're thinking and if 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 there are any any proposals or solutions that you might imagine could be feasible Absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's really important that the LA Tenants Union refers itself to it as a tenants union. Um, we define tenants as anyone who doesn't control their own housing. So for us, that includes renters who are normally thought of as, you know, the protagonists of like tenant protections and renter struggles. But for us, it also includes people living outside, people who are incarcerated or detained by ICE. Right. people who are, and even um, right now, thinking about bank tenants, people um, whose housing is actually owned by the bank, and they're, they are, they live in their housing at the behest of a bank. And, and yes, I completely agree that um, if we have an eviction moratorium, and that is the only protection offered to tenants at this time, then what we will see is the accrual throughout this process of tenant debt, which would be more than any tenant emerging into an economic recession could ever catch up on. Like if we recognize, and I think this is the time when the solutions have to take into account the crisis that tenants were already experiencing. So for us, in the Los Angeles Tenants Union, nothing less than total rent forgiveness will do. Because nothing less than total rent forgiveness will allow tenants to emerge, like, we will allow tenants to emerge and retain their housing. But Tracy, um, and at the but same, Tracy, oh yeah. but Tracy, what I was going to say also, to play devil's advocate a, a little bit maybe, let's say that there is a landlord who has units right who has three or four units a horrible term and he or she rely on those three or four rentals to pay their own bills um if one if one thinks of 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 forgiveness in that context it probably will make it very complicated for those landlords whose survival depends also on those small, sometimes small incomes they may get from, from their properties. Yes. And I mean, I think, you know, there's one, mo there's one mode in which I want to declare, you know, congratulations to all landlords for just discovering that their income depends on somebody somewhere having to work. But at this moment, mm -hmm. I, and, and I think it's important that we remember that the quote unquote mom and pop landlords, there's actually makes up actually less than a third of who owns housing right now. But I think that's an, that it is important in those instances, we can pair mortgage forgiveness and rent forgiveness. And we have to remember that the first ba congressional bailout went not to people, but to banks. 
Right. And if we, as both mortgage holders and leaseholders, want to see any of that bailout benefit us, then we are going to have to force the bank's hand. And so I think at this moment, the tenants union is also wanting to organize small landlords and thinking about how landlords themselves can advocate for mortgage forgiveness that would benefit both them and their tenants. And I think that we can realize that there is an interest in working not separately, but together. Mm. Um, and then just to go back to the, the question of homelessness, I think the other thing that we are um, advocating really strongly in the tenants union right now is that there should be no vacancies in this crisis. That the idea that there are hotel rooms sitting empty and Airbnbs sitting empty and all of these um, luxury buildings that have been um, vacant for the time up in, that are now vacant, that these need to be used for emergency housing for houseless people and, um, and immediately. And this is a demand that we're seeing emerge both in the city, in the state, and also across the country, that just, these just, vacancies need to be put to use. Just reading about what's happening in Las Vegas, for instance, is so um, disheartening and so difficult. And I, I don't want to keep you much longer also because we're running out of time and I want you to get back to work um, because you have a lot of very important work to do. I want to leave you with a quotation that matters to me greatly, and have you comment on it. I, I had occasion some years ago, just before she died, to speak to Ursula Le Guin, who said the following. She said, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine rights of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. I'm wondering how that might resonate with you. I could imagine yeah. a little bit. It's amazing that you pulled that quote. In fact, I actually use it. Um, I, I, I wrote another essay that about the state of Los Angeles organizing where I begin with that. And I think that um, for me, it really speaks to um, the way in which we have normalized our own disempowerment and it is up to us to empower ourselves um, to change the conditions in which we live. And I think that this idea, again, that, you know, these, these structures that we think are outside of us are actually us. They're made out of the decisions that we make every day. And the, um, and that, and that's not, to say, that, I mean, this isn't the model of, you know, you can buy recycled paper towels out of the, out of capitalism. This is saying, like, what if we reorient ourselves to the collective in a way of reimagining what our collective efforts might produce? Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I love that quotation. I think maybe I'm a bit um, stunned to hear it now and I'm I'm very pleased um, and I hope I could ever do it justice. 
but it sounds like um, your your work speaks um, is kind of a footnote to that quotation. So I'm I'm really pleased to speak to you and and when we when we no longer need to distance ourselves socially or otherwise. I hope I hope to meet you, Tracy. And it's been really a pleasure speaking with you. And I wish you all success in in bringing a little bit more fairness into this world. And I'm thinking that maybe one of the effects of this pandemic is that it might make people realize that there is another way of living, that there is another way of interacting, and maybe there is even a shard of hope somewhere. Yeah, I I believe that too. I'm going to look out my window and just continue to believe that so we can keep doing the work. And, and I guess I'll just say that, um, yeah, it was lovely to talk to you. And for anyone who heard this and wants to get involved, we have all of the social media channels and we would be more than grateful for you to come and help work with us. Thank you so much, Tracy. And thank and, you. And all the very best to you and Happy Passover, even though it's past. <laughs> yeah, I know. Only a few more days of no bread. Thank that, God. That's right. <laughs> All the best to you. Thank you so much you for taking my call. Of course. Take, Have a great day. Take good care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye. To support this show and DubLab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com support. 